I'm a, I just want to give you a little bit of background. I'm from a little town called Prosperity, South Carolina. How many of y'all know where Prosperity is? You probably got one of your speeding tickets in Prosperity. Um, if you don't know where it's at, if you remember in the 90s, there was a sign that said Clinton left and Prosperity right. That's where we live. And uh, it's home of about 400 county animals. Uh, we do have a traffic light now. Sometimes there's cars there. And um, I have been called into this cesspool, I, I mean this, this arena called politics. Now, I'm not a politician. Uh, I looked up the original word, and poly is many, and tick means bloodsuckers. Um, I don't want to be a politician, never did. When I ran for state party chairman, didn't want to be a politician then. I'm just one of those guys that got sick of what I saw going on, and I just want to do something about it. About 10 or 12 years ago, I actually wrote a book. Now, that's showing you God can use anybody, because I got an engineering degree from Clemson. I don't even know any big words, and... Um, I found out people would actually pay me to go speak. I started a speaking career about 20 years ago. I felt like everything I'd done in my life at that point, I'd put my fist in a bucket of water. When I pulled my fist out, the hole that was left was the difference I'd made. And as y'all know, there ain't no hole left when you pull your hand out of a bucket of water. I was just frustrated. Just like Scott said, we're watching what goes on in our culture. And as Christians, as believers, we realize this is hard. It's our fault. It's just our fault. We've allowed the left to talk us out of the arena. You know it? Because they're so good. They're, and look, I, I know a lot of them. Some of them are my friends. I've had to debate them and deal with them. And they, they literally hate what you and I believe in. They hate it. And, and I, I, I realize what's gone on over the years. They've been very good, especially in the media. I've done a lot of interviews and did a lot of TV interviews during the presidential preference primary that was here a couple years ago. And I quickly realized they are here to trip me up. You know, I got to do everything from Megyn Kelly at Fox News on the right to Al Sharpton on the left. Megyn Kelly was more fun than Al Sharpton, I got to tell you. The people on MSNBC whispering cuss words in my ear, telling me what they thought about Christians as I'm preparing for an interview. I knew it wasn't classy, but I knew it was happening to me. And I realized where they're at. And they've told us for years and years and years, you know, you Christians, y'all are so good at, man, that evangelism and missions and, boy, that vacation Bible school and those things are fantastic. But y'all shouldn't be involved in politics and education and science because that might offend somebody. And we go, yeah, 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 we don't want to offend anybody because we know about turning the other cheek. And I think sometimes we've done a little bit too much of the turn the other cheek, Jesus, and we better find our turn the tables over Jesus occasionally because we're losing this culture. If there is no freedom of speech in the pulpit, there is no freedom of speech anywhere in America. And we are being faced right now with a time that that'll be challenged. They're coming for the pulpits because they understand if they don't take out the church, they really don't take this movement out. And they don't understand our commitment to God. They don't understand that America was founded on this idea of rights come from God, not from the government. So I put together a PowerPoint. I'm going to do a little bit of the why this country's special. Because I think that's where this begins, is why this country's special. I'm going to move down here so you don't have to look at me and y'all can focus on that. I know that listening to me is a little bit like sipping from a fire hydrant. But I'm not here to give you a whole semester's worth of history. But I'm going to try really hard. This is the most special place on the planet today, probably than other than Israel. Y'all know that? This is a chosen land. I believe it's ordained. We've sent more missionaries, more humanitarian aid, more help from this little country called America. 4% of the world's population. We produce more plays and more inventions and more everything than the rest of the world combined. And you go, why? 
You know, we've got now 230, almost 238 years of freedom under one document. That's amazing. That's not accidental, that's providential. You know, we're told by the elites, boy, if you just would copy what France has done. France? France is on their 12th form of government since we've had one. You know, every 10 or 20 years, you just say, well, that didn't work, let's start over. Or they say, well, let's go to Italy. You know, those great European nations where churches are just big museums now. People don't go to church anymore. Italy's on its 59th form of government since we've had one. That's not accidental. But see, we got some problems too. I don't know if y'all are watching this or not. I wonder if we can focus this a little bit better for them. I don't know how this focus works. I should have already done it. How about that? You know, I, I, put, I picked some headlines right out of the newspapers because who would have thunk that the government would sue companies because of what they stood for? Do, do you ever, we never conceived of this. But I got to tell you, the left is thinking all the time. We're taking our kids to ball games. We're going to church. We're doing choir practice. We got church council meetings. They're sitting around plotting. I know too many of these people. They're thinking about how to encroach on your freedoms because, see, you've offended them. This one up here in the far left is happening right now out in, uh, let's see, I got my little thing here. There we go. Can y'all see that little deal? There we go, right up there. The fight is not over, and I'm going to tell you the story. We will continue to stand strong. Your religious freedom is becoming not free anymore. This is ridiculous. We cannot practice our faith. The Lord is good, and we will continue to serve him with all our heart. That's a little bakery in Oregon. And a a same-sex couple came in and said, make us a cake for our wedding. The the man and wife who owned the the bakery said, look, we don't mind baking a cake. We're not going to make one for a ceremony we can't agree with. Now, me and you would have gone, well, okay, well, we'll go find another bakery because surely there's other bakers here in town. No, no, they sued this company. The current presidential administration's Department of Justice got behind the lawsuit and ran that Christian couple out of business in Oregon. Have you even heard about it? Very few people have even heard about it because only Fox News is covering it. Then over here, this is the Little Sisters of the Poor. Y'all heard of them? Little Sisters of the Poor is a group. There we go. You can see it. What they do is they just provide uh, food for the poor. They just provide for, poor and uh, uh, ministry to people in the inner city. And they're being forced, because of this new health care law, to provide abortifacients and abortion provision services for the people for them. And they said no. They're still being sued. It's putting a stalemate. One Supreme Court justice actually stopped it on New Year's Eve. That goes into the Hobby Lobby case. Y'all follow Hobby Lobby? Hobby Lobby provides about 12,000, 14,000 jobs nationwide, good paying jobs. You go in there, I love supporting them. They play Christian music. They've taken a hard stand. They said, look, we don't want to provide abortion services. This is against what we believe in. I'm not going to be a part of killing babies. You know, that's something I'm, I fall on. You know, I've never voted for somebody who was not pro-life. Never in my life. I don't care what party they were from. I'll write in Mickey Mouse before I write for somebody who, who will kill babies. Because I think if you're wrong on killing babies, you're pretty much wrong. And so Hobby Lobby's taking a righteous Christian stand, and this administration is suing Hobby Lobby to try to force them. They said, we will not do it. Do you know what the fine is going to be if they don't accept it? A million dollars a day for not implementing Obamacare. A million dollars a day. The whole intent is to drive them out of business because, you know, they may offend somebody. And then this one right here, I couldn't find a clipping for it. But the AP is uh, doing a story. Washington Floors sued for using, refusing to provide flowers for a same-sex wedding just a year ago. Same story. Never in American history have we seen 
a Department of Justice sue individual businesses for refusing to provide service. And then turn it around saying they're discriminating. We got a mess, folks. We got a mess. You look at though, we're trying to help. We get accused of not helping people. Look at our food stamp numbers. Are we really helping anybody? In just seven years, we've almost doubled from 27 million people on food stamps to 47 million people on food stamps in America today. I want to know, are we helping people? Are we really helping people? Because we as Christians get accused of not helping people. Poverty's way up. The poverty line's way up. Are we really helping people? We were told that we're supposed to do this because it's the common good. I went back and found a Hitler line. When I researched my book, I actually went and read a day worth of Hitler's work, Mein Kampf, his book called My Struggle. And the only thing I wanted, I knew there was a line I'd read somewhere in a history book, and I found it. The very greatness of the lies a factor in getting it believed. A great lie is more effective than a small one. In other words, we're going to lie big, and we're going to make people think that you Christians are the problem. And those, the, your rules and regulations, that's what drives people away. They don't want to be a part of it. So we've got to have a non-Christian environment. The Supreme Court picked up on it. They said, well, schools and public arenas have to be neutral. There is no neutrality with God. If you're neutral, then you've automatically chosen an irreligious side, but it is a faith. It's a faith in nothing. I tell people when I debate liberals that, look, I, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I know I don't have the answers. And I don't really believe that me and you crawled out of the primordial ooze. You know, we came out of a mud puddle and poof, there we were. Give me a break. That takes a whole lot more faith than believe a loving God designed every one of us unique. You know, nobody's fingerprints are the same. Isn't that a real unbelievable miracle if that were just happenstance? Do you know that your eyes, everybody, you can identify every person who's ever lived or will live by the eye, the rods in the eye. They're unique and special. And yet we're told by law now, our kids are taught in the religion of evolution by law. You came from monkeys or salamanders? I don't know. Maybe they did. I know I didn't. My answer for evolution is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. Now, I don't know how God did it. I don't propose to do it. But I got more faith in that than to believe I'm some accident. So we got this mess. So we got to go back and look at what's made this country so special. I mean, there's two things. I'll talk about both of them a little bit, our godly heritage, and then a free enterprise versus central planning or socialism. Jefferson said it best. You ought to go. If you ever get to go to D.C., Scott and Melly and the girls and us went up there a couple years ago. I love the Jefferson Memorial. It's kind of off the beaten path, but you got to walk over there. You got to take the bus ride. He says, our peculiar securities in the possession of a written constitution. Let us not make it a blank paper by construction. That's where we are, y'all. We're rewriting, my goodness, we have a president rewriting laws just whenever it just suits. We're rewriting the constitution to suit the irreligious faith, not the religious faith. That's not what America was founded on. I have a very good friend. I was with him at a pastor conference a couple days ago in Austin, Texas. I got to speak to 900 pastors in Austin. It was so cool. People are getting, they're getting animated about this. They realize this is a serious problem. Bob McEwen's a former congressman. He said something I think fits really well for today. While government and economic planning may sound attractive, it sounds so good, we're going to do this for you, and we're going to do this for you. While government and economic planning may sound attractive, it's fundamental. For a government program to work, the people must be fitted into it. Those who won't fit voluntarily must be coerced. That is why they build walls around socialist countries to keep people in to enjoy the benefits. The Berlin Wall wasn't there to keep you out. The Berlin Wall was there to keep people in. So you must have health care. You must have this benefit. You must have that benefit. 
You must all fit into it or it will not work. That's what's going on today, right now as we speak. One of my heroes is Ronald Reagan. I'm, I, man, I pray for a leader like Reagan. He said this so well. When government sets up to solve a problem, the cure may not be worse than disease, but it's bigger and it costs more. Y'all know that, right? Every time, every single time. Doesn't really solve problems. Government subsidizes them. It does not produce a dime of revenue. You know, if you ever hear a politician say, I'm going to do this for you, you need to ask him or her, where are you getting the money? That sounds great. Well, years ago, my first wife that passed away and I went to Venezuela. It was six weeks after Chavez took over. And so there were communists. It was communist. And I was hired to speak on free enterprise. Michelle said, you're going to jail. You're going to stay down here and rot in a Venezuelan jail. You cannot do your talk. I said, I believe God's going to protect me and get me back to prosperity. I'm going to do my talk. And that was the number one question they asked is, why wouldn't we provide for people? I said, great. Who pays for it? Who pays for it? The producers have got to pay for it, and all we're going to end up doing is having no producers. If you're in a classroom, young people, and even when you were in school, what if they just said, okay, you take a test, but after the test, we're going to even out all the grades. What happens? The people who worked hard to make 100 won't work as hard the next time. The people who made 50 didn't work at all. They're happy with it. The producers get discouraged through the process. That's what Reagan's talking about here. To go back and understand this, so you've got to understand the model of government. And I think this is so important for Christians because we've been taught out of it. We don't see it anymore. It's not taught in schools. Legally, it can't be. The European model of government was what everybody has an example. They believe there's a God. And God gave power to the government, the king, the queen, the monarchy, the aristocracy. They gave them power and said, you know, they believe God gave me power. You know what? If you weren't the same last name, you never got to be king, right? And then they gave power to the people. We wonder how Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi and and when Chavez in Venezuela, how rulers like that win with 98% of the vote, they're scared of them. People won't vote against them. It's not a real true republic or democracy where people got to vote for they wanted to. They had to do it because they were in charge. The American founders, though, they were reading this book called the Bible. They were reading this really thick book that you ought to read one day, but it's a good nap waiting to happen. It's John Locke's Two Treaties of Civil Government. Do you know that in John Locke's book, he uses 1,400 scriptures to talk about how government came from? And I just gave you the two sources that Americans founded, the, this, the, the founders founded America on. The Bible and John Locke's book that uses 1,400 scriptures. Now, people won't acknowledge that anymore, and it's certainly not taught anywhere, and it's not talked about. But the American model became this. There's a God in heaven. He, give rights, he gives rights to the people who then give rights to the government. Do you know that had never been done in all of recorded man's history? No man had ever said, I don't want, his, I don't want the kingdom until a guy named George Washington came along. George Washington had led our country, gave up a great life of leisure at Mount Vernon. If you've never been there, you ought to go, and you're like, wow, what a guy to just give this up and be away from his wife for the better part of eight and a half years. Think about that. And they tried to make him a king after he stepped down from being the commander of getting his rear end kicked up and down the east coast until Yorktown. All those losses, all that discouragement, all that just nastiness he went through. And they said, look, you're, you're awesome. You need to be the king. He quoted Jeremiah 17, 9. He said, we just left a king. Don't make me a king if I were a perfect man and I'm not. How about the next man, the next man? For only God knows the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Only he can judge. Washington quoted scripture to turn it down. European model dictates an equality of outcome. When you hear a politician say, we're going to make y'all equal, 
We could all stand up and we're all different. We have different attitudes, different drives, different sizes, shapes. That's how God made us. You don't make people equal because that only happens by force. The American model led to a different program. That was an equality of opportunity, which I'll tell you about in a second. I put this in my book, and it's the biggest thing that churches, I still get emails about this because it's not put out there anywhere. And I don't suggest you go read Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto, but everything Marx wrote about how do you take down a society, he put it in this book called the Communist Manifesto. His top ten go like this, abolition of property and land. That's property taxes. Don't y'all just love that? You work, you save, you earn. Somebody comes in, here's what this property's worth, here's what you pay me for the dirt in the air. Unbelievable. I think if I'd have been in the room when that was suggested, I'd have beat them with a, with a chair like this. Because I think that's the most sinful tax other than death tax. It's a sinful tax because you earn, you save. Those are biblical ideas. Savings and thrift and earning and hard work. Progressive and uh, graduate income tax. See, all these, they were probably pretty good ideas. They sound good to think that a communist came up with them. Abolition of rights and inheritance, inheritance taxes. Confiscation of property, immigrants and rebels. There's the one you worry about. Who are immigrants and rebels, people wonder. Well, whoever's in charge gets to decide. And y'all can read all those, but this is what Karl Marx said was how you took down a free society in 1850. Isn't that something? At least to socialism where they build the walls to keep you in to enjoy the benefits. All over the world, you can look at the story. You look at this recent picture I found in the USA Today on a plane flight. The headline, USA Today, so, you know, you already know they're pretty much Bolsheviks anyway and Marxists, so far out there, left. They call this freedom in China. What do you notice about the picture? This is an internet cafe. Look at the people looking over your shoulder. The cops are looking over your shoulder. I, I wouldn't actually call that freedom. Can you imagine every time you want to go on the internet, some police officer was checking out what you were looking at? Because they didn't want you to read about freedom or God. Or that guy called Jesus. Don't let people know about that. When he came to set the captives free. See, I don't think Christians know the First Amendment anymore. Look what that says. It says, school teachers who are offended. No, no, it doesn't say that. Uh, Principals who don't want to hear a prayer at a football game. Hmm, Boy, it doesn't even say that, does it? Town councils who don't think we ought to have a nativity scene in the public square. Doesn't say that either. Mayors who get upset. No, it doesn't say any of those, does it? But you know all four of those are facts in America today. Boy, let's don't let kids pray at a football game. Because, you know, we don't want that to happen. And, and, you know, nativity scenes, we need to put Frosty the Snowman out there too because we wouldn't let anybody, we wouldn't let anybody know that a Savior might have been born that changed the whole world in all of mankind's history. Think about how far we've come, y'all. 55 million babies have been murdered in the womb. Since 1973. Red ink, far as the eye can see. We don't know what $17 trillion is, and we've let it happen. I pray to God every day, oh God, forgive us. He doesn't soon punish our country. What is he going to do to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah? Congress, 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 y'all to commit this to memory, shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That means Congress is the only one who can make this determination. But yet, we've brought it down to the classroom level. Did you know that recently, chaplains in the United States military were told by this Department of Justice, by this presidential administration, if you're a Christian, by the way, 88% of the people in the military are, guess what, Christians. But we have Hindus, we have Muslim uh, chaplains, 
But number one type of person in the United States military is Christians. So recently this edict came out from the Department of Justice, Mr. Eric Holder, who's our Attorney General in America, because see, whoever's the president gets to appoint who they want, right? Their beliefs go all the way down. Hello? And he decided you cannot have a Bible on your desk if you're a military Christian chaplain. How crazy is this? Do you know they were also told just two months ago that if somebody wants to have a same-sex wedding, you must perform the ceremony or you're out of the military. In other words, I'm more important than God. But remember how I put that order? God's first. God gave rights to the people. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then we go back and look at some founders' quotes to figure out where this thing went wrong. And look at what George Washington said. This used to be in every United States history book. After the Supreme Court took prayer and Bible reading out of schools, you cannot find it. You have to find it in a Christian school reading book now. Think about this. Who was the guy who could speak most intelligently about what it took to have a, a successful country? I think George Washington would be right up there. He'd know more than me and all of us combined. He laid it on the line for our nation. Here's what he said in his farewell address. I believe everybody ought to have known this, but it's illegal to read this. What Washington said was, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, of everything I can name you that's going to be a, make a nation successful, of everything that we could talk about, religion and morality are indispensable supports. He went on to say, you couldn't call yourself a patriot if you should ever take away those pillars of what's made our nation great. But we don't want anybody to know about George Washington. You know, he was a slave owner. So that just discredits him. You look at what the left and the media have done to our icons. I love taking the kids in to read this. When you go into the Jefferson Memorial with the, uh, the cherry blossoms and the, the title basin behind you, up on the left-hand wall, it says this. The guy who was probably the most non-religious, especially after he went to France and got his mind all messed up, this guy would be a Bible thumper today. Look what he said. God who gave us life, give us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure if we've removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people that these gifts are but a gift of God. He said, I tremble for God's wrath. When I reflect, God is just. He cannot go on forever without punishing. And we've told Jefferson, you know, boy, he's a, he was really a bad guy. Because the left has sought to discredit our leaders in our minds to make us think they weren't worthy. Then I love picking out great stories in history of obscure people. And one of my family was Jonas Clark. Jonas Clark, I couldn't even find a picture of Jonas Clark. You know why? He was a pastor in the 1750s, 60s, and 70s in a little town called Lexington, Massachusetts. And so I took Dane and the kids up there after we got married, and we stood out on the area. There's just a little small marker that says Jonas Clark was one of, what, six or eight pastors. There used to be a church there on Lexington Green. He was the pastor whose men actually went out and fought the British in the Battle of Lexington, the, the shot fired around the world. But nobody talks about Jonas Clark. No, even, not even a picture you can find of the guy. And so his guy, one of his deacons, literally one of his deacons, came back and on April 18th of 1775 and said, Pastor, the British are coming. They're coming for the storehouse. They're coming for the guns. They're coming for the gunpowder. What are you going to do if war comes? What will your men do? He said, they're going to fight because I have trained them for just that. The next day when the dust cleared, the eight men who were killed, the nine who were wounded, the women who nursed them back to health were all members of Jonas Clark's church. The battle was fought in the parking lot. 
we, we can't even conceive of this. Think about this. What would a preacher, can, now he would do it with text or email today. He would do a text. The bad guys are coming. Get your guns. We're meeting in the parking lot at 3 o'clock. We can't even go there, can we? We, we? we can't even conceive of that happening. That's what Jonas Clark did. When the dust settled, he said, from this day will be dated the liberty of the world. He quoted that Second Corinthians verse. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty and freedom. And they actually stood up to British troops, the best in the world. They were so bold and cocky, they wore red uniforms so the blood wouldn't show. They had taught the world to fight. Y'all line up over there. Line up right here. Let's see who runs first. Well, guess who ran first? The ones who weren't trained. His 130 men stood toe-to-toe with British regulars. Then by the time we got to Concord, they had about 400 men. It was a different program. It started with that shot fired around the world. Then I found this statue in the in capital in the U.S. Capitol. Who, y'all been in the U.S. Capitol? Um, every state gets how many people to put in the Capitol? Anybody know? Bennett, tell them. Two. Every state gets to pick two. So all you know is that's a stud they picked to put in the Capitol. Right? You know that. If they picked them, they're pretty important. And so this was 1995, and our side had won the Congress for the first time in our history. And I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good with history. And I walk out of the door of the statue of the uh, rotunda, and there says Muhlenberg. And the most significant thing about Muhlenberg I could tell was his shoes were shiny, where people had been rubbing his, the marble. And so I, I asked this very knowledgeable-looking tour guide who was taking us around that day. I said, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I see he's got a cloak around his arms. Remember me telling this story, Scott Melanie, we were in there? They moved it down to a hall because they don't want people telling this story. It's down in the visitor's hall now. I, I saw it two weeks ago. I was up there speaking to pastors. And I was like, man, they're hiding this guy as he was a preacher. And so I asked this very knowledgeable tour guide. I said, hey, um, uh, you tell me what the cloak is. And uh, they said, it was cold that day. Well, wow, that's high on information. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm already... I'm already thinking this is a stud because he's from Pennsylvania. You know who else got picked from Pennsylvania to have their statue in, uh, in the Congress, in the, uh, in the Capitol? Benjamin Franklin. So I started reading about John Peter, John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg. Muhlenberg was a pastor in a little town called Woodstock, Virginia. Probably not unlike Westminster or Prosperity. But he pastored two churches, which is impressive, ain't it, preacher? He pastored two churches. One was a, a German-speaking Lutheran church. One was an English-speaking Episcopalian church. I ain't even mastered South Carolina as a major language. So I, I'm impressed by that. And this is a day when they had the elevated pulpits before they had these things you put around your ear and talk loud. So he, he's in the pulpit that day preaching on Ecclesiastes 3. And at the end of the pulpit, he had had enough. He saw what the British were doing. They had burned the storehouses in Boston. They were coming south. And see, Muhlenberg was a member of the legislature. Shh, don't tell anybody a preacher was in their Congress in Virginia. Because that might be illegal. Isn't that funny? The things we're told were illegal certainly weren't illegal to the founders who made up the rules. Duh. Isn't that amazing to you? So Muhlenberg's pastoring, but he's down in Williamsburg. Y'all been to Williamsburg? Far southeast corner of Virginia. He preaches in far northwest corner of Virginia, Woodstock. That's probably about a four and a half hour drive. How far on horseback is that? Anybody know? That's a long ways. So he knows war's coming. His brother's a pacifist in New York City, Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg, who says, King George, King Schmorge, don't worry about it. Go along and get along. John Peter Gabriel said, brother, they're going to burn your Bibles. They're going to burn your pews in the streets of New York City. You'll agree with me, which is what happened, by the way. 
Muhlenberg gallops by horseback to go preach in his two uh, churches on Sunday morning. He's in the elevated pulpit. He's on Ecclesiastes 3. There, there's, every, there's a time for everything under the sun. He says, in the language of the Holy Writ, there's a time for everything under the sun. A time to preach and a time to pray. Now's the time to fight because those times have passed away. He comes down. He stands in front of his congregation. He unclasps his clerical robe. <laughs> That's a clerical robe. Around, oops, I didn't mean to do that. That's a cler- I pushed the wrong little button. That's a clerical robe around his shoulders. See that? It was cold that day. And it was. It was January 21st, 1776. It's four or five months before the declaration is even signed. Muhlenberg stands in front of his congregation. And he says in the language of the Holy Writ, there's a time for everything. A time to preach and a time to pray. That time is now to pass away. Now is the time to fight. He takes his clerical robe off. So he, he's dressed as a colonel in George Washington's militia. He marched out the back of the church. 300 men follow him. They become the 8th Virginia Brigade. They followed Washington throughout the war for seven and a half, eight years. They distinguished themselves in battle at Brandywine. They wintered at Valley Forge and at Marstown in the rotunda. Now, we're told separation of church and state. And don't talk about preachers. and Don't talk about God and Jesus. Don't say the J word, for goodness sakes. In the rotunda, there are eight pictures, portraits, those big portraits that tell the story. The one of Washington accepting Cornwallis' surrender in Yorktown. Muhlenberg is on horseback, fourth guy from the right. So here's a guy. He became one of the 17 major generals in George Washington's militia. Major General John P- Reverend John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg became one of the leaders of the Revolutionary War. So much so that his statue is in the Capitol today. And nobody knows who he is. I think that's a shame. Our American model model led to an equality of opportunity, freedom, because of people like Muhlenberg and Clark and Washington and others like that who are willing to pay the price. I'll give you all the politics you ever need to understand in one quick slide. Uh, How many of y'all hate? You took government and civics, you hated it. I hated it. Hated it! Because I hated remembering dates. But if I'd have learned it this way, it would have made a lot more sense. Okay, on the left, we're going to have... Total taxation, total slavery, zero freedom. High taxes. If you have no money and you work for somebody and they won't pay you, that is called, by definition, a slave. Correct? If on the other side, you're totally free, you keep all your money, 100%, low taxes, less government, that's freedom, ultimate freedom. We live in a nation today where in most states now, some 50 cents of every dollar goes to some form of tax. How free are we? The greater the freedom, the greater the wealth. The greater the government, the greater the poverty. This only works every time it's tried. I don't care if you're talking about Boston or Bangkok or Newberry or Prosperity or Westminster or South Carolina or Ethiopia. The greater the government, the more the poverty. We now have government run amok and we're Christians are not doing nothing about it. We have to live our lives on a budget. Y'all get to spend just indiscriminately. Remember when you first got out of college, they send you these bright cars. They're beautiful, beautiful. And you get a collection of them because you like to have a variety. And then all of a sudden, they write you these letters wanting their money back. Anybody, y'all, I might have been the only one to go through this. And you realize I cannot spend more than I make for long because you get me. Unless you're in the government. And then it's all about, we just need a little bit more money. The greater the freedom, the greater the wealth. The greater the government, the greater the poverty. We're moving toward more taxes and you keeping less of your money. You know, what, what if you got to keep 75 cents of every dollar? 
That'd be pretty good. You know what the Bible says, right, in Judges, about they wanted a king, and God tried to warn them. The prophet tried to warn them against the king. They said, they'll take 10% of your earnings. Man, what if the government ever took 10% of our money? That'd be a glorious day now, wouldn't it? Let me ask you this. If you come out of, the, out of getting your paycheck at work on Friday, and a guy or girl sticks a gun in the door and says, give me 25% of your money. They redistributed that money, didn't they? Did it make anybody any wealthier? No. That's why government redistribution of wealth doesn't work. Guess what? Whether it's a criminal or a congressman, the effect's the same. You have 25% less to spend. The reality is they're taking 50 cents of every dollar. And everything's called a tariff or a tax or a toll. I like this example. I think it shows it better than anything. We've got a godless country above North Korea and South Korea. In 1950, there was a town called Detroit, Michigan. It was the wealthiest city in the world, in the wealthiest nation in the world. Everybody wanted to live in Detroit. There were 2 million inhabitants just 25 years ago. Now there are less than 600,000 because people have fled Detroit. Because, see, in 1950s, Detroit voted for change. They thought they needed more government. Today, they can't. They have feral dogs running through all of Detroit, Michigan. It takes an hour and 23 minutes for a police officer to come. They don't have enough workers to go change the light bulbs that have gone out in the city streets. There's a little country called South Korea in 1950. They had just been divided by the 38th parallel when America went over and North Korea became communist. South Korea stayed free. South Korea was one of the 10 lowest, least prosperous countries in the world. Today, they're in the top 10. They recently eclipsed the United States of America in terms of freedom, in all the ways they rate it. I want you to think about this. In the last five years in North Korea, 2.5 million people have starved. That's number one. If you can't get your people food, guess what else? Cars don't really matter. Xboxes don't really matter. Education doesn't really matter. If you can't provide food for them, you failed your people. Think about it. Same land, same people, same culture, same dirt. And yet one side is under communism, godless. One side's under free enterprise and freedom. From when the Mayflower Compact was written and the founders said, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Paragraph 2, sentence 1, go read it. It's why many, many, many of the national organizations that rule schools have disallowed the Mayflower Compact from being seen. Paragraph 2, sentence 1. Why'd they come here? They said, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Hindu faith. No, I didn't say Hindu. For the advancement of the Muslim faith. For the advancement of the atheist faith. No, no, no. Christian faith. Very specifically. Down to the signing of the Declaration, to the Constitution, the Ten Pillars of Economic Wisdom that the founders put in. I won't take the time to go through this. But I'm going to read the first two. These are in my book. Nothing in our material world can come from nowhere, nor can it be free. Everything has a source, a destination, and a cost that must be paid. And this is a big one. If everybody would learn this, we would change the country. Government is never a source of goods. If a politician ever comes and tells you, I'm going to help you, ask him where you're getting the money. How are you going to pay for it? Are you going to take from this person over here to try to give it to these people over here? Because that doesn't work anywhere ever in America, in the world history where it's been tried. Never a source of good. Everything produced is produced by the people. Everything government gives to the people, it must first take from the people. Ben Franklin said, there's a common observation I hope we're getting today. I've said this everywhere in speeches all over America. I've been in, I think, 23 states now in nine months since I took this new job uh, in D.C. 
I've been saying this quote because we better get this part. We better start pulling together. I've done black pastor events. I've done Hispanic pastor events. There were 900 in our event on Friday in Austin, Texas. I had 1,000 in D.C. about three weeks ago. I think people are understanding this. If we get attacked in the church and we don't start marching because we should be in the streets on this stuff. We should be on the streets supporting Hobby Lobby like Chick-fil-A last year. When you see a Christian take a Christian stand, say something. This Mozilla Firefox fired their CEO, one of the founding guys who heard this story. Mozilla's a search engine on, on the computers. I'm, I'm uninstalling it because they fired him because six years ago, in uh, 2007, 2008, the guy gave a personal donation of $1,000 to fight for traditional marriage in California. And the people in California, they're whacked out there. I'm telling you, it's a bunch of them. Now, we're taking the family out, and I'm preaching for two pastors in California. So there's some hope. We got a little bit of ground over there. But it's the leftists in Hollywood that run it. But yet, traditional marriage was voted in by over 7 million people, and three judges overturned it there. Went to the Supreme Court, and by a vote of 5 to 4, they got rid of Prop 8. That defined marriage as one man, one woman. It's happened in 19 states. They're coming after more. What are we going to do about it? In South Carolina, are they going to come and say, Preacher Kenny, you've got to marry us because we love each other. And Preacher Kenny's going to have to make a decision. Am I going to listen to God's book? I, I, I know where he's at. <laughs> That's right. Because I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Please, it's going to happen. And some of you, are, your jobs are going to be threatened because you've talked about that Jay guy. They're, they're going to intimidate you. And it's going to be a matter of whether y'all stand together. Because if you don't stand, you'll be like Franklin said, we'll hang separately. I, I, and I was with Jim DeMint, Senator DeMint in D.C. about a month ago. He's not a guy who's prone to dramatics. I don't like to be overly dramatic. He said, I, I'm not making this up. We cannot take more years under this type of rulership and leadership. We're losing our freedoms. So our common observation here, our cause is the cause of all mankind. We're fighting for their liberty and defending our own. I believe that too. I love this because I think this sums it up. Titler was another book I read to do my book. And he did this book, The Decline and Fall of the Athenian Republic. It's another big old, you know, 1,400-page book. Takes about 27 naps to get through it. I, I summed the whole thing up. Here's what you need to know. He said, a democracy cannot exist a permanent form of government. It can only exist till the voters discover they can vote themselves money from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates who promised them the most from the public treasury. With the result, democracy collapses with loose fiscal policies. Does this sound familiar at all? Sounds like it was written last week by the Wall Street Journal. 1837. Always collapse over loose fiscal policy followed by dictatorship. The average world age of the world civilizations has been 200 years. He described it in what he called the cycle of the body politic. He said great civilization. He studied 13 of them. All 13 failed in 200 years. And he said, here's why. They go from bondage to spiritual faith. How many of y'all, your prayer life's better when it's tough, life's tough? That's just human, isn't it? We're, we're sinful that way. But we pray a lot more. Oh, God, how do I? Okay. If you're in bondage, guess what you're doing a lot of? Praying. That brings on great courage. Great courage leads to liberty. Liberty leads to abundance. Abundance to selfishness. We throw away more food 
in our households than some people in the world get in a week. Right? We live in abundance to selfishness, to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependency, from dependency back to bondage. Now, that's only happened 13 times in a row of every civilization ever. Chances are pretty high it happens here unless one thing happens. God intervenes. Unless the people of God become prayer warriors. Unless they become engaged in the public arena. When somebody tells you this was a godless constitution, they're telling you they're biblically illiterate. When they tell you that this nation wasn't founded by Christians for the Christian faith, and that's what calls the freedom, they're illiterate about American history. Because they're not reading the stuff that goes back to the truth. They're reading somebody's interpretation that purposefully took out the truth. You know, 50% of our people don't pay any taxes. Fact. Fact. 50% of the people don't even vote in major elections. Fact. Fact. Among Christians, it's worse. I'm going to show you some numbers in a minute. That means we're in dependency right now. We're already in the middle of dependency. I love Thomas Paine's quote before he went to France and got all messed up. He said, tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Isn't that right? Don't you appreciate having to work harder? Whether it was a teacher in school or an athlete or sports or getting a degree. When you had to work hard, man, you appreciated the work, didn't you? What we obtain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly. Tis dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a price on its goods. It would be strange indeed if so celestial an article of freedom. I love that quote. If such a celestial article of freedom should not be highly rated. Do we rate it highly? Do we love our freedom? The choice is ours. Are we going to choose this left thing? Or are we going to choose the right? Are we going to choose to look toward tyranny and more government coercion and intrusion? Don't you love those coexist bumper stickers? I'm thinking to myself, the one with the cross ain't the problem. We're not exactly blowing up stuff in, a, you know, coffee shops. We got a problem. This generation decides. The greatest generation fought for our freedom in World War II. They stood strong. They deserve the price that we're paying back to them. But guess what? The mantle's on us. The mantle's on us. Three to four million less people of faith. The definition was if you went to church once a week, almost four million less voted in 2012 than 2008. Almost seven million of us voted in 2008 than than 2004. That's something like 11 million less Christians voted in the last two elections. And wonder why we lose. 78% of people who go to church once a week voted for the conservative candidate. That's a pretty good number. But back in 04, we got 83 to 84 to 85%. are 65 to 80 million evangelicals in the U.S. Half are registered to vote. Only half of those that are registered actually showed up. I think that's sinful. Our vote is not political at all. It's a prophetic witness of the church in the arena. We cannot be on the sidelines anymore, y'all. Don't listen to the naysayers and the pundits and the left who says that Christians shouldn't be involved. I just got hired in July. My task is to move that 78 back to 81 or 82. We change the nation. We don't lose elections at the county, the city, the state, the nation. If Christians would just go vote biblical values. Do you know that over 60% of Christians in those states that have legalized pot votes voted for legalizing pot? 
Do you know that in those states that voted for legalized gambling or casinos, over 70% of Christians voted to legalize gambling? Do you know that those states that had same-sex marriage on the ballot last time, over 55% of Christians voted to legalize same-sex marriage? So even the ones that are showing up aren't voting biblical values based on the book. What are we going to do about it? Posterity, you'll never know how much it's cost my generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you'll make good use of it. And then I love ending up with this story. I love history. I love reading obscure history that nobody teaches anymore because it's either illegal or it's been lost. The story of Dunkirk, I think, kind of symbolizes a little bit about where we are. Some of y'all in here are old enough to remember World War II and the ramifications of that. And God bless you. Thank you for your service. If you're in the military, have been in the military, thank you for your service. I try to thank military men and women every time I see them because they understand freedom's not free. In June of 1940, we had this debacle called The Escape from Dunkirk. And I looked up, I read a book, that book right there, The Miracle of Dunkirk, is the one I read on this. And I took pictures, you can't make them out good. It's horrible, though. You see these soldiers, these men, these warriors trained for battle who laid down their arms. They laid down their arms. But see, the story doesn't start in June 1940. It starts in, actually in June of 1939. The British had a leader... I use that word very loosely, named Neville Chamberlain. And he was a wimp, I mean a pacifist. And so he flies over to see Hitler at Berchtesgaden, his winter home in the Alps, his nice little place in the Alps. Chamberlain says, Mr. Hitler, the, the English people want peace. They want peace. Hitler says, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? And he said, just sign a peace treaty with the British people. We don't want a war. And the biography said Hitler leapt for his pen. Liars... Liars don't care if they sign it or say it. You can keep your doctor if you like him. You can keep your health insurance if you like it. Liars don't care if they sign it or say it. Chamberlain gets a signed paper. There's peace in our time. There's peace in our time. And yet Hitler was building thousands of tanks and arming personnel carriers and soldiers and the Aryan youth. And he was preparing for war. September 1st, 1939. Tanks rolled in a little country called Poland. In two weeks, a proud people were rolled over. No more. Country after country after country fell. Thousands of men were massacred in unmarked graves across Europe until 337,000 are backed into a little town called Dunkirk. It was God's providence alone that did not allow Rommel and Hitler to commit his tank division he had left in reserve to run them over. The saddest thing is look at these pictures of these soldiers laying down their weapons, standing in the water looking for the boats. And 700 boats saved 337,000 soldiers came back and forth across the English Channel, back and forth across the English Channel. It was a miracle. But then the British got a real leader called Winston Churchill. And I love what Churchill said. He said, we must be very careful not to assign this deliverance as any form of victory. Wars are not won by evacuation. Can I borrow your Bible? Here's our weapon. Here's our weapon. Don't lay it down and give up. Don't lay it down and give up when you hear this nonsense in the media. Watch the news and think, now what's their agenda? This is our weapon. Don't lay it down. Dane and I are committed to taking back that sand and taking back the ground of a Christian nation. You know, uh, we have a miracle story. I was widowed seven and a half years ago, incidentally by suicide. 
My wife took her own life. After about three or four months not being able to get off the mat, just couldn't even get up, couldn't even function. <laughs> I watched that little boy turn six, and he skipped away. And it was like the Lord said, you see what that boy's doing? He's running, he's moving ahead. That's what you got to do. I wrote myself a letter, Dear Chad from Chad. I took off my wedding band and never been off my finger. On New Year's Eve, I told the boys, we got to move on. We can't stay here. Can't live in it. I was lower in a whale's belly on the bottom of the ocean. I had a good friend on the pro-life board named J.D. Martin from Greenville that he and I have been on the board together for years. And he said, when you get ready, I, I got this girl for you to meet. And I said, J.D., I was married 18 half years. I love you, but get out of my face, man. I'm, I'm trying to take care of two little boys with questions I don't have answers for. I went back to the board meeting the next month. He said, when you're ready, you got to meet this girl. I said, J.D., I'm, I'm, I'm doing homework and getting to school and taking home from school and, and washing clothes. And my mom and dad are helping. But at the end of the day, the boys say, where's my clothes? They're in the dryer. Be happy they ain't wet, boy. <laughs> I, I was having a hard time. Third meeting, I go back. He said, you got to meet this girl. You got to get out of the house. You're boring. You're right. And I pray for three things. Lord, you got to stumble me into somebody. I'm not going to look. Number two, Lord... I, I really didn't want to trade kids on Thursdays. I didn't want to have somebody with divided loyalties. The third thing, Lord, send me somebody who won't be threatened by Michelle's memory, but will help me honor it to my boys. So I said, J.D., what's her name? He said, Dana. I said, here's a big question. How'd she get single? He said, same way you did. Her husband took his life. I said, oh, I'm not too excited about two suicide survivors trying to make it. You see, I was thinking about my own thoughts. I was forgetting him. And I put it in God's hands. Dana, stand up. So we got married six and a half years ago. And, um, this is Leah. Stand up, Leah. She's 14. Stand up. And Summer is just turned 12. And CJ will be 17 this week. Bennett is 13. Don't discount God. If he can restore me where I was, he can restore our nation. I'm not giving up. I hope you all aren't either. Help us take back the sand. God bless you all.